As we jump into Matthew, let me remind you of this really quick. We uh, have been talking about Matthew. We're going to go for a whole year on it. And the focus and really the core of Matthew is on mission and discipleship. And we just want to keep saying that again and again. If you want to understand what this book is about, you have to understand it through the lens of mission and through the lens of discipleship, that we have been called to go and make disciples. And then as a part of that, teaching them to obey and observe everything that God has commanded. And he says he will be present with us always in that endeavor. And so as we look at this book again, we've been looking at it primarily through the lens of the major teachings. There's five major teachings throughout the book. And then um, the rest of the book, the parables, the stories, the miracles, all of that kind of fills in the picture of what it really means to make disciples. What does it look like? How do we engage in it? And this morning, our focus is specifically in Matthew chapter 7. You can turn there. And we're going to look at the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what's interesting about the conclusion is this is how the message describes the very end of it. It says, when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching that they ever heard. This is the way that it's described, that Jesus gets done with this message. We were talking about it at a group on Thursday night. It's like if, if any of us gave one little portion of this message, we would consider it one of the best sermons we ever gave. But he stacks like amazing material on top of amazing material. That's why it takes us like 20 talks just to get through his one talk. Because he jam-packs it with all of this material of what it really means to live into the reality of this kingdom. What does it mean to follow him? And today what I want to do is just highlight four conclusions from the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible, we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13 through verse 23. And it says this, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it or by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want to highlight what I see are four kind of conclusions from this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. It's a a sobering Part of the message. It's kind of the, the climax to the message. And it starts off with this conclusion for me, that kingdom people are among the minority. The 
kingdom people are among the minority. What I mean is being a true disciple or a true follower of Jesus is a minority position. There are the few. That's it. Now, if we were to think through why is it that there's only a few, I think we would come to many different conclusions. Some would say, along with Jesus in this text, that the road is hard, it's difficult, it's treacherous. I think others would add that part of why there's few is that it requires complete devotion. There's this sacrifice of myself for something else. It's also pretty countercultural. The rest of the world would be on one particular road, and for us to remove ourselves from that road and put ourselves on another road is something that makes it a minority position. What's interesting to me is in the Greek, the word for narrow really refers or it carries the idea that the road is narrow and troublesome. Narrow and troublesome. Now, it's not difficult because it has potholes or debris in the road or because the road is super steep or crazy difficult, but the the very word means that it's difficult because it is too narrow. The road is, if you picture it, it's very, very narrow. It implies almost that it's so narrow that the people that are on it are crushing one another as they walk, not beating up one another as they walk, but rather they're so close to each other, so jam-packed on this road that it's like you're stumbling and bumping and jostling and running up next to everybody else that's on that road. The road is incredibly narrow. When I think of that word picture, it might strike you as funny, but I, I think of the Spokane Elementary Band and Strings concert. How many of you have ever been to the Spokane Elementary Band and Strings concert? It is a phenomenal event. You need to look it up and go to it. Even if you don't have a kid in elementary school, look it up and go. Because I went this last year. And uh, honestly, I was a little skeptical. My daughter had picked up the trombone. Yep. And so hearing things from down the hallway, you know, in our house, I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be the worst concert I've ever been to. You know, this is just bad. She didn't want the trombone to begin with. She's very little motivation in the trombone. So we go, okay, it's, it's time to go to this concert. And we go to the Spokane Arena. And we walk in, and it's amazing. The entire floor is jam-packed with elementary kids. I mean, you've got strings over here. You've got all kinds of horns over here. You've got, I mean, it was just the whole floor was packed. And then the stadium just kept filling up. And more and more parents were coming, and friends and family. And we got to the end of the concert, And they had this supposed system of having everybody leave in an orderly manner, all right? And so the system, I think, worked well if everyone followed the system. But we headed out of the, um, the, kind of toward the exit, and we needed to go to the right. My son thought we needed to go to the left. So as we get out, my son's, he's just um, a go-getter. So he just runs out, takes off. He starts sprinting down toward the left. I recognize he's not there. I go, okay, Shannon, you guys go to the car. I'm going to go get him. And so I turn 
to start heading to where my son is. And it, at that moment, it was like every person in Spokane with an elementary student started like coming down the hallway toward me. I mean, in mass. Person after person, family after family, and I am fully swimming against the current. I'm, excuse me, pardon me, I'm bumping into people. I'm standing like still for 30 seconds because I can't even move. We're so packed. And it, the whole time I'm like fighting my way. Every now and then I would see like his head poke up and then he would dart off again. And he was convinced that was the direction we needed to go. And so, I, you know, I'm like crawling over people to get to him. It took about 20 minutes and I finally get to my son and I go, we're going that way. And then I'm going, oh, great. Now we've got to go back that way. The road is narrow. It's so narrow that it's like we're stepping on one another. What's so interesting about that word picture is that it's so narrow because we're swimming against the culture. We are going in the opposite direction in many ways as the rest of the world. The values, the things that we hold dear, aren't necessarily what the rest of the world holds dear. The things we're chasing after are not the same things the rest of the world is chasing after. And it's as if we're in the Spokane arena walking one direction and the rest of everybody else is coming toward us because it's a minority position. Discipleship in the way of Jesus, I believe, really causes many people to second guess whether they really want to be disciples. It causes people to second guess, do I really want to make this choice? Do I really want to walk this path? Bonhoeffer made this statement. The disciple simply burns his boats and goes ahead. The old life is left behind and completely surrendered. The disciple is dragged out of his relative security into a life of absolute insecurity. From a life that is observable and calculable to a life where everything is unobservable and fortuitous. Out of the realm of the finite into the realm of infinite possibilities. Discipleship means Jesus Christ and Him alone. It cannot consist of anything more than that. This morning I want to give us a few questions that we can kind of walk through as groups throughout the city. Here's the first one. Does your discipleship leave people second-guessing whether they want to walk along the same path. By that I mean this. I don't mean do we have such a watered-down version of faith that when people look at us, they go, man, I wouldn't want to do that. But rather, do people look and go, man, that way is difficult. That way is narrow. That way will give life. And it seems abundant, but I don't know if I'm up for the call. Does your discipleship, does your walking with Jesus make others second guess about the path they're on? Here's the second conclusion that I came to about this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. True discipleship requires action. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole... What's interesting is Jesus addresses the whole person. It's a pretty holistic sermon where he's saying that discipleship encompasses all of life. That I am teaching you, Jesus is saying, I'm teaching you everything 
that it means or takes to obey and follow me. And when he starts to describe what it looks like, he describes it, I think, in three primary zones. If you think of a person's life as being these zones, there's the zones of emotions and thoughts. It's the eyes and the heart. A lot of his teaching throughout the first part of his Sermon on the Mount focuses on the eyes, the heart, the mind, the conscience, the intellect, the emotions, the will. He then moves to this zone of speech where he highlights ears and mouth. You'll recognize it because he says, he talks about this idea of praise and cursing, of communication, of judging, of what are the things that we're saying, how are we saying them, and then he gets to this zone of action where he talks about the hands and the feet, where he says this is what it takes to do it, to act it out. It's about behavior, it's about walking, it's about the way. It's interesting that this entire conclusion focuses on the emphasis of action. It's putting it into practice. It's as if Jesus says, listen, I've been talking for a while and all of these things, all these truths I'm stacking one on top of the other, all lead to this conclusion and this conclusion alone. Practice it. Do it. Discipleship following me requires that you put it into practice. Now for the Hebrew, this would have made absolute sense. Because they didn't view faith as some list of creeds, some system or code of conduct, some ideology. Instead, they viewed faith completely through the lens of action. That it was about a journey. It was about a pilgrimage. It was about choosing to walk the way of Jesus. And that's why much of Jesus' language here is like this. He says, enter. It's a choice to enter through a gate. It requires action or movement. There's a road or a way implying journey. That there's bearing fruit. That there's growth and change that happens in us. And that there's this aspect of the fruit of it is doing the will of the Father. That's why Jesus says things like, I am the way. That's why the early church was described, if you were a part of it, you were someone who followed the way. That it was all about this journey, this movement, that belief was just not cognitive, but rather it resulted in action. That it wasn't just a list of doctrinal correctness, but it was about obedience. That's why Jesus says here in his conclusion that not everyone who says to me, it's not just the words, it's not just the thoughts, but it's only those who do the will of the Father. So here's another question for you to discuss in group time. Is your discipleship, or in what ways is your discipleship characterized by action? How is your group demonstrating their followership of Jesus through obedience? What does that look like? Discuss it. Dialogue on that idea. Third conclusion is this. Discipleship is an either-or. Discipleship is an either-or. Now, what's interesting is the definition of either-or is a strictly limited choice or division between only two options. An either-or, simply, you have this choice or this choice. Jesus says over and over and over in this section, two choices. He says there's two gates, there's two roads, two destinations, two trees, two claims, two men, 
There's two ways. Period. Two ways. Now, an either-or statement strikes our culture wrong. We hate either-or statements. I hate either-or statements. I just generally don't enjoy them. My mom would say things like, you can either have this or that. And I'm like, well, what about this? What about a third option? What about another way of looking at it? You know, teachers would go, well, it's either that or that. Well, what if you look at it this way? Couldn't it be this as well? Always looking for the third. Always looking for a different or an alternative path. John Stott says this, Everybody resents being faced with the necessity of a choice. But Jesus will not allow us to escape it. When there's just two options, there's a tendency for us to resent it. Jesus says, hey, listen, there's the broad road or the narrow road. And what we often, throughout culture, throughout Christianity, want to do is we want to find the medium way. There's a narrow way, there's a broad way. But Jesus, what about the medium way? Or what about like the broad way with narrow results? Is that an option? Like I walk this smooth path, really big, lots of friends on it, but then in the end, the destination's quite different. It's the narrow destination. Would that work? Can we come up with an alternative? It reminds me of all the summer before both my junior and senior year of high school. I committed to my father. He was an avid runner, and uh, I was a soccer player, and so you run just so you can play soccer better is kind of the approach I took. But I committed for a summer to get up with him every, every day uh, between 5.30 and 6 and go running with a group of guys. And he had these friends that he would go running with, and, and I knew that this would not only improve soccer, but just generally it would be good and it would be time for my dad and I to spend together, or at least for me to stare at the back of my dad while he ran ahead of me. But either way, it was going to be good. And I remember most mornings, my alarm would go off, I'd hit snooze, my dad would come down and go, hey, it's time to get ready to go, we're heading out in like five minutes. I'd go, yeah, dad, like what about just this today maybe I skip, just today. Tomorrow I'll be back in the game, but what about just today? He's like, come on, you, let's go. So I would get on my stuff, we'd go... We'd drive over to the school, we'd uh, get out, and about seven, ten guys would show up, and we'd go into this part where we'd start to stretch. We'd be inside, and it seemed like it was always cold out in the morning, and we'd go inside, and it was a little warmer, and we'd start to stretch, and after about five, seven minutes of stretching, inevitably one of the guys would say, all right, let's go. And I'd go, maybe we should stretch a little longer. I mean... I'm kind of tight. You guys, are you tight at all? I mean, this is not good. We need to stretch. Don't want to pull anything. So finally they were like, no, let's let's go. We're going to, and they would just say something like to get me going. They're like, well, we'll just, we'll jog to start. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's jog. So we'd get outside. We'd start to jog, you know, about the distance of a lap. We'd be jogging and then someone would go, all right, let's hit it. I go, "Ah, this pace is good. I'm, I'm down with this pace. Why don't we just stay here for a while, enjoy this? I was always looking those summers for the broad way with narrow results. I was always looking for an easier way out. I'm looking for, God, is there some alternative path? And I started thinking this week, what are the alternative paths that we often try to live into as it relates to our walk with Jesus? One of those third ways, I'm convinced, is compromise. 
what we seek to do is create a third way and then call it the narrow way. So we try to blur the lines of followership. We say, you know what, God, this is medium way. It seems pretty good to me. I get a little bit of the benefits of being on the broad way, a little bit of the benefits of the narrow way. So let me just create a medium way, and then when anyone asks me about it, I'll just call it the narrow way. I'll redefine terms. John Stott said, Probably the greatest tragedy of the church throughout its long and checkered history has been its constant tendency to conform conform to the prevailing culture instead of developing a Christian counterculture. How quickly we try to adjust the way. So this week, discuss in groups, in what ways have we started to redefine the narrow way? Or in what ways are you or are we seeking to create a medium road and calling it a narrow one? How do you see yourself? How do you see your group? How do you see yourself starting to compromise? The next way that I think we often try to create a third way is indifference. Jesus, his teaching model or teaching style was a little bit different than modern teaching style. Teaching style today is frequently meant to present ideas in a neutral manner. So you present an idea, you put it in a neutral manner for everyone to be able to hear it, and then people have three choices if you make it neutral. Okay, Choice one is accept what the teacher said and agree to it, follow it, yes, I verify that what you're saying is what I want to do. Option two is to reject it. To say, you know what, I disagree with it. The answer is no, I'm not going that particular direction. I'm not okay with it. The third is indifference. I'm going to ignore what you said. Stay exactly where I'm at. I'm not going to agree to anything. And I'm not going to disagree with anything. So we create this neutral approach. So it gives us this false impression that there is a third alternative, and the third alternative is indifference. That if the teachings of Jesus confront me, and I hear that it's option A or B, that I choose, or I can choose, indifference, which is, well, I'm not really ready to commit to A yet, but I'm also not really ready to say that I'm B, so I'll just stay where I'm at. And Jesus' teaching style is very much in this, either A or B. It's narrow or broad. No other exceptions. So if you're on the medium road, you're actually on the broad road. That if you choose any other thing other than the narrow path, you're broad. It. End of story. It's very black and white. We prefer gray. I prefer gray. I want to see loopholes. I want to see other possibilities. But what Jesus says is very clear. It's narrow or it's broad. Anything that isn't narrow is broad. Anything we redefine, change, think about differently is broad. And the disturbing thing that Jesus brings up in this conclusion is this, that there is the distinct possibility that among us, or among the church at large, that there are some who think they're on the narrow way, and yet will come to find they're on the broad. That's the sobering part of the message. That it's an either-or, and if we choose to redefine it some other thing, 
then what Jesus is being very clear about is that there will be some who redefine it that say, hey, listen, Lord, Lord, I know you. I think I do. At least I do all these things for you. And he'll say, we never had a relationship. This is not the way that I wanted it to be, but it's the way that it is. And that's how Jesus describes it, which leads us to the second to last question. In, to what teachings of Jesus have you been showing indifference? To what teachings of Jesus have you been showing indifference? Which leads us to our last conclusion. And the last conclusion is this. Discipleship involves a relationship. Discipleship involves a relationship. Jesus says at the very ending that it's not about whether you did these things. It's about whether you knew me. And he says very clear. I did not know you. I did not have a relationship with you. See, the small gate, the narrow gate, is really not about a philosophy or a vague hope. It is all about a person, and that person being Jesus Christ. That there has to be a relationship. He says, I am the way, and he says, I am the gate. Both of those things he says in the Gospel of John. And he redefines them here by saying there is a narrow gate, in a narrow way, and it is me, it is Jesus. I've been doing a lot of learning over the last two years on the black church. Part of that is because of my daughter Evie and a desire to have her grow up and learn quite a bit about her culture. And so times when we're not here, we'll look for opportunities in another city to engage in a different church. And so as we're learning about it, one of the things that is so interesting black church tradition is this. There's never really the question, are you on the narrow way or the broad way? There's never really the question, are you saved? The question is always this, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? And that's our final question this morning. Talk about it in group. How are you evidencing that you know him? What does it look like to know him? How do we practice knowing him? How do we have such a relationship with him that it is so clear we're on the narrow way? Let's pray.